Hello and welcome to another installment of the Voice for Choice podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Curran, and joining me today will be Philip Shebok, an analyst for the Prague-based Map Influence Project. The Map Influence Project focuses on China's influence in Central Europe across the B4 nations of Czechia, Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia, wherein it studies numerous subjects related to Chinese influence. Top of the discussion today is that Chinese influence on media. Of particular note in recent outputs from the Map Influence research are thorough analyses of Chinese information efforts and disinformation efforts within the region, and the influence often malign that China exerts. So please do make the right choice and stick around for the podcast. Philip, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Kevin. So as we mentioned in the introduction, uh, we're discussing a lot of media campaigns and disinformation efforts that Beijing is undertaking in the Central European region that you study. But more broadly, I just want to understand why does Beijing care so much about its image abroad? Basically, it all comes up to China believing that uh, while it has become a major economic and geopolitical power in the past few decades, it still has significant deficiencies in one important aspect uh, of comprehensive power, and that is what is known in China as discursive power. What this means really is the ability to create and uh, shape global narratives, which in turn creates a more favorable environment for achieving China's goals and also improving its global standing. This global narrative space is still dominated by Western media, and they see these as, of course, as not impartial or independent actors, but as ideological tools perpetuating the domination of the Western countries and chief among them, of course, the US. So the internal discussions within China often portray the country as being on the defensive, always on reacting to the changing global narratives that are often damaging to China's image, rather than being the one who's actively actually shaping these narratives. One Chinese author actually likened China to someone who is preoccupied with putting out fires ignited by Western media. I think this is a very good metaphor which really drives the China's understanding of this problem home. So this awareness of existing deficiencies is one of the major forces uh, behind this recent emphasis uh, put on improving China's external propaganda. Basically, this has been very prominent uh, since current General Secretary Xi Jinping came to power in 2012. And according to him, Chinese propaganda apparatus should focus on telling the China story well to global audiences. And this has, of course, brought about increasing funds being channeled into building up the Chinese state media to be very competitive actors on the global stage in, in shaping, creating these narratives, and also generally increased focus on external propaganda, including recently on uh, Western social media platforms. So this is really this external uh, motivation for China uh, to be putting more emphasis uh, on that. But there, of course, there's also a lot of uh, domestic pressure. Well, that's actually one thing that I wanted to follow up on was is the pressure to tell the China story well a story that needs to be told to the external audience in nations abroad? Or is there still kind of a tinge of telling the story for a largely domestic audience? 
Well, of course, the answer is both. Of course, China uh, wants to use its uh, its discursive power to use this uh, Chinese term to also serve its larger uh, geopolitical goals. But really, I think that it's difficult to say why which one is more important, but it's it's very important. And in terms of the audience, uh, really, for Chinese efforts all around the world, and we can we can talk about like actually two different audiences maybe behind these uh, recent efforts. So one of the audiences is really like the general Chinese population. And uh, for Chinese leaders, it has been very important to show that they are really standing up for China's interests on the international stage. Um, they also want to show that China is respected, uh, that it will no longer take any kind of bullying or um, basically blackening of, of its image uh, internationally. This is really why we have seen this assertive turn in China's global messaging. And this was this is very popular amongst the Chinese population. Um, basically, in the past, Chinese, for example, the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs was ridiculed often for being very weak, for never standing up for China's interests. Uh, this was especially a criticism from uh, the nationalists uh, from the nationalists in China. Uh, and what we now see is that Chinese diplomats are really taking on Twitter. They exhibit very offensive, even like a ridiculing style in their messaging, which is something was, that was not present before. And this is very much appreciated by, by many, uh, many in China, especially those uh, from the more, um, like from the nationalist camp. And the, the other audience, uh, that I mentioned is really like is really the institutional actors within the Chinese system because like being a wolf warrior and social media being very active in defending China's uh, image and interests has proved to be very good for the career prospects for several Chinese diplomats already. Uh, so the most prominent case is probably that of Zhao Lijian, who used to work at the embassy in Pakistan uh, and was later promoted uh, to uh, be a MFA spokesperson. And he was very, he was basically the first one, uh, he was a pioneer of this Wolverine diplomacy on Twitter. And many other diplomats have actually taken note of this and they are trying to replicate this approach. Uh, so we can say that this has been kind of an organic development with um, uh, but there has also been this institutional uh, pressure where, where this behavior has been rewarded, basically. Well, and bringing this behavior to the forefront has really been the COVID pandemic. You mentioned that these information efforts have really ramped up since 2012 under Xi Jinping, but how much has the COVID pandemic transitioned the putting out of fires uh, into potentially making the fires larger through these more aggressive tactics and uh, disinformation surrounding the COVID pandemic specifically? Yes. Yeah, so actually, well, we can say that the first time we have really seen Chinese, uh, Chinese this messaging this or this propaganda apparatus uh, really uh, like being put to use uh, was uh, last year when the Hong Kong protests erupted. And uh, already at the time, there was a lot of, uh, like, we could see a lot of uh, organized uh, messaging, a lot of uh, efforts to really change how this, uh, how the events in Hong Kong were portrayed uh, internationally. So uh, this, and at the time, we could, uh, th this was really when 
Chinese diplomats, Chinese embassies started to appear on Twitter, on Facebook. And so basically when uh, COVID pandemic came up, they already had this kind of infrastructure there. Uh, and they already mm, tried mm, some of the tactics, you know, like uh, concentrated media messaging that was coordinated uh, apparently uh, between the different uh, embassies and uh, diplomats. So basically we could say that the, the Hong Kong crisis was a trial run and uh, during COVID we could see really these, these tactics develop. What was novel about really Chinese um, propaganda about COVID-19 was uh, the use of disinformation, uh, which we have not really seen before. So basically trying to spread uh, different uh, narratives, not necessarily one single one that was preferred uh, by China. Uh, this was, of course, related to the uh, specific issue of the origin of, of the virus itself. Chinese state media and affiliated actors basically promoted stories that Maybe the virus first appeared in the U.S. Maybe it was actually related to the uh, influenza pandemic uh, or influenza season at the time. Maybe it appeared in France, maybe it appeared in Italy. So this is actually very similar to what Russia has been uh, doing. So this was really novel. But in general, like why we see China being more involved also in shaping these narratives is because China is much more globally involved. China is part of all like many stories that, that are happening around because China is really now a global actor. So in some way, this, this is very natural and basically COVID-19 uh, really drove this fact home that China is, is now the big story. Well, it is a big story internationally, and you mentioned that it's a global power, but I, I do have to wonder, what is the strategic importance of Central Europe, given the large-scale efforts that are outlined in some of the papers that Map Influence has put out? We could say that the, this region is not really that important like in, a, in the largest scale of things, but it's definitely true that uh, for China coming into this region in like 10 years ago, basically in 2012, when when China kind of returned to the region after some time of neglect, uh, the, which was the case on, on the both sides, also on, on the side of sea countries, but also on the side of China, when China fully returned to the region, what China really stressed was this aspect of um, improving China's image in the region, improving the public perception of China among many countries. Uh, and when you read what actually Chinese um, authors, Chinese experts have written about the region at the time, you see that this, uh, what they call like ideological differences, play the big role in uh, China's understanding, like what were the challenges in the region. Uh, this is, of course, a post region where you have post-communist countries. Uh, many of them, not all of them, uh, of course, but many of them still feel very strongly about, you know, democratic values, human rights, because of this uh, historical heritage that they have. This was very much the case and continues to be the case with the True Republic, uh, also Slovakia to a uh, lesser extent, then also the Baltic countries. Uh, so basically, they saw this region as being hostile in some way, uh, in some way to China. And uh, what they said about was really to change this uh, perception, to improve it. And this also connects, uh, this also explains 
why China has really put a lot of efforts in um, uh, improving people-to-people -people ties in the region. So basically, when we look at the 17 plus one format that China has instituted, at first, many people said, uh, thought that this was really like a geopolitical initiative or um, economic initiative. But really, when you look at the activities that have been uh, undertaken under the format, a lot of it is really uh, related to people-to-people -people relations. So this also tells us this, uh, that it is very important for China uh, to improve uh, its image among the populations. Also, of course, among the people who matter, the people in power, politicians, and so on. I actually wanted to pose a question to you from the Czech Security Services to get a more uh, granular look at, at just one nation in the uh, V4 region that you cover. Um, this is from the Czech Security Services on the 11th. They released a new report, and uh, I'll quote it here. It says, Chinese actors... Reporters, diplomats, members of party organizations, and others search the Czech Republic for ways to influence public opinion, spread Chinese propaganda, and build a positive image of the PRC through open and covert influencing of media content. Cooperation between the Czech and Chinese media was often ensured by members of the intelligence services of the PRC, and the Czech media thus became an instrument of the People's Republic of China to spread Chinese influence. That sounds like a pretty dire assessment, and I was wondering how you react to that, uh, whether it's accurate, what you make of that, essentially. I think it's a very good characterization, basically, of what has been uh, going on. And maybe like when we actually look at the methodology or the, of uh, China's influencing efforts and and then also at specific cases that it can illustrate that um, this is actually justified, of course, uh, this concern. So what we have, for example, just based on the Czech case, we have really seen China, first of all, uh, you know, actively trying to, to shape media landscape. Uh, but I would say, like, in general, this, this is not that effective. So in this category, uh, we have, like, opets uh, of the ambassador or, you know, like, social media accounts that have, that have appeared in basically in the past year. And also social media accounts of Chinese state media. For example, China Radio International is active on Facebook uh, and uh, produces content in Czech. But a lot of it is really not that uh, sophisticated. Uh, and I think uh, it's not really the best conduit for for China uh, to, to improve its image. Now, it's not to say that it has not been happening, but this is not really what should concern us that much because it really seems that China is still still has a lot to learn. What seems to be more in, more important and more basically effective also is China's efforts to basically use intermediaries to spread its messages. And um, then in Czech Republic we have the case of, for example, one uh, newspaper with uh, Ninovini that has. Uh, that is a cooperation agreement uh, with the uh, Chinese uh, party newspaper Guanmin Ripa, uh, which is one of the two newspapers in China. Uh, so basically, they have this media insert uh, and on their website, they have a section where they publish uh, the articles from this uh, partner uh, media, which are, of course, very positive in China. Then we have like cases of direct acquisition of media. And um, this is very interesting in Czech Republic where we have the case of a Chinese CFC company actually acquiring stakes in media and 
later after basically CFT was replaced by by Citic in the country because uh, because it turned out that the the whole business of CFT was uh, was based on a Ponzi scheme and basically ended up in a disaster. Then also Citic still continues to be involved in uh, in Czech. Uh, media landscape. Recently, we have seen that uh, it has actually in, increased its stake uh, and took control of uh, Czech advertising agency, uh, which is uh, very important because it serves as a basically intermediary between the media and the advertisers. So uh, it can control a lot of income for for the media. And of course, there had there have been concerns that. Uh, China, because like Citic is actually a, a Chinese state company, China can use this to influence the media landscape. And we actually have specific uh, evidence from the past when we have done research you know, within the Map Influence project of how the coverage of uh, of one of the uh, of of the basically of the media company uh, that was acquired by CFC uh, changed. As, as as far as covering China was uh, was concerned, and it of course it changed to only positive. So we can see that there is really a source uh, or there is a real reason for concern. And finally, what perhaps most interesting case is the case in the Republic of Home Credit Company, which is a news company that is uh, uh, very much active on the uh, Chinese market in uh, retail loans uh, sector. And uh, this company actually basically hired a PR agency to help it somehow try to influence the, the discourse on China in the country. Uh, and there is actually no evidence that there was any kind of involvement from, from the Chinese side. And this seems to be the case of China socializing actors, other actors, into protecting China's image and basically uh, serving China's interests because it also suits their own interests. And, and just as a follow-up, uh, the report that's from the BIS is from 2019, but I was hoping that you could catch us up on perhaps any interesting stories about influence campaigns uh, more recently. We actually have a very interesting recent case uh, in the Czech Republic. And again, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's an evidence of these Chinese uh, media uh, influencing tactics uh, using uh, disinformation uh, more intensively. And uh, what, so what happened in this case was that basically Czech uh, media, Aktualnie, was uh, contacted with a story that said that um, the Czech Senate president, Vistuchil, who visited Taiwan uh, against uh, very uh, very vocal Chinese opposition, of course, uh, in uh, late August. Uh, and the story basically said that Vistuchil was promised some 4 million US dollars uh, for making the visit. So basically accusing him of, of only doing that, not because of some democratic uh, ideals, um, but because, you know, of um, these financial uh, gains. So the authors of the email were actually people from a Swiss consultancy uh, that is um, that has a connection to Chinese diaspora groups in uh, Switzerland. And they also publish a Chinese language uh, newspaper. Uh, so in this case, it's again, very interesting case of trying to spread disinformation, uh, but 
by what we can see, it seems to be that this was really another case of uh, very amateurish uh, behavior. First of all, um, it doesn't seem like this was really some kind of coordinated effort uh, from China. Seems more like uh, uh, autonomous action. Uh, so far, I have not really seen the story uh, that was uh, published uh, in some French uh, French newspaper, actually, uh, online portal. And I have not seen this story popping up anywhere else. You cannot find it in Chinese uh, anywhere. So it doesn't seem like this was a coordinated campaign from China. M more like autonomous uh, effort, as I said. And of course, it's, it's quite uh, funny that they actually the media that they contact in the Republic Actualnya is basically one of the most critical towards Chinese influence uh, in the country. So they were basically the worst possible option for them to contact. To me, it seems like it was actually some kind of self-sabotage. So I, I mean, if uh, that would actually seem like uh, the easiest explanation. Uh, so, although we, we now hear a lot about uh, this disinformation tactics uh, being used by China, it's not really that effective, it seems. Uh, and even it, it didn't gain track uh, on social media, the story or anything. So it seems to me they still have a lot to learn. We covered a lot of ground there, but I, I, I have two. I have a two-part question uh, as a follow-up. One would be, how does the experience of the Czech Republic compare to the other V4 nations that map influence tracks? And secondarily, is this successful at all? Well. First of all, when, when we recompare the Czech case with the other countries, uh, the landscape is different. So Czech Republic is really unique for its uh, stance towards China. So uh, stances or uh, opinions about China are very much divided. It is a very polarized debate. It doesn't look the same, for example, in Slovakia or in Poland, although it's changing as well. And um, so we don't also we don't have that many cases as we as we have in the Czech Republic of uh, really these scandals involving uh, Chinese the first influence media. It's not to say that uh, it's not present there, but one one reason is that uh, there's not been that much attention paid to that by, for example, journalists, because in uh, Czech Republic uh, there has been a lot of interest from journalists who really like deal with. Uh, the issue of Chinese influence, and they've been really uh, searching for uh, uh, these cases. Um, and the uh, Czech Republic has always been also very important uh, for China because it was basically a model case of a country like that used to be negative towards China, and now China could show that uh, Czech Republic basically uh, changed its stance towards China and was now very uh, enthusiastic about the cooperation. So also this case was, this also may be the case why, why we have seen more of that in the Czech Republic. And in Hungary, the overall uh, discussion about China's influence by uh, how Hungarian government uh, sees China. And uh, we, therefore we see a lot of positive coverage, uh, of course, for, uh, from the pro-urban media, because uh, for urban China is, of course, uh, one of the most important uh, partners, uh, international partners. So it's important for him to to paint China as to basically to also build a positive image on China. 
for example, Chinese embassy in Hungary sees it, uh, would we get involved that much, uh, for example, in public debate, because there's no need uh, so far. Basically, the overall debate is uh, positive towards China, so they don't really need to get that much involved. And on the second part of the question, how effective are these different efforts across the region? Really, looking at um, the actual content um, that's being produced, for example, on social media accounts of uh, uh, of embassies uh, or Chinese state media, uh, it really seems that uh, they leave much to desire. Basically, uh, that. Mm, the level of sophistication is uh, still very low. Uh, for example, China Radio International uh, in the Czech Republic, uh, what they post on social media is really not customized to local context. So we don't really have that many stories about uh, Czechia. It's mostly basically uh, reposting of uh, Chinese domestic propaganda. Uh, which really falls on deaf ears, I think, in the Czech Republic. It's not really relevant, you know, it's, it's written in broken Czech. Um, the only thing uh, in terms of customization that I have, uh, that we have seen recently was uh, that uh, China Radio National and Czech Republic has this series of videos where you have Chinese, young Chinese people speaking Czech uh, and talking uh, about um, some issues uh, related to China, of course, but again, what of it? Uh, what of it is not related to Czechia in any way? Uh, if it is, it's still kind of um, it's it, it's not top-notch material. Basically, it's uh, it doesn't doesn't look natural. It's not really trying to target the audience as such. So. In, in many cases, it seems to me that what uh, what these media or also social media accounts produce uh, is is really to show that they are doing something, you know, to to show also to their superiors back uh, uh, home in China they are producing content, but they're not really uh, assessing how effective it is. And of course, when we look at when we take a more general view of this, uh, we don't see. Uh, China's image, of course, uh, uh, for example, in the Czech Republic improving. So it's definitely not in, uh, effective from this perspective. Okay, but how do you suggest that both policymakers and the public that's consuming media can be more resilient to and aware of this type of influence on media systems? Well, of course, it's 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 very difficult when uh, when the government is actively standing in the way. So, of course, uh, maybe in case of uh, Hungary, it's, it's, it's very difficult to say uh, without some major changes in, um, uh, in the political situation in Hungary. But overall, it's really important that uh, we continue to spread awareness about this issue. Um, then we have a lot of uh, tools available to basically limit at least some uh, some aspects of uh, these negative influence. So, for example, uh, in terms of Chinese companies, um, for example, acquiring media in the region, which happened, of course, in the Czech Republic, uh, we have this tool of uh, investment screening. If it covers media, of course, which it does uh, in the Czech Republic. And uh, 
and this should this should put more scrutiny on uh, on cases when when Chinese companies or any other companies, of course, outside the European Union, uh, try to buy uh, buy media in the Trade Republic. So this is this is one of the tools. Of course, it's not. It's not perfect. It's not the silver bullet. There's there's other legal tools like like limits to cross um, ownership of media, uh, and so on. Uh, and um, th- this is basically these are the tools that that we can use to improve our defense. But th- then there's also some active proactive uh, tools we can do like improve strategic communication you know support uh, our journalists more support independent journalism uh, so this is of course a task for national governments also for the eu so we have seen recently a lot of uh, stress put uh, on the eu level on this increasing the resiliency of our systems really protecting european values protecting um protecting us from uh, negative external influences. There is a what to be done, but there's not one single perfect solution to that. Basically, it's a mix of measures. Good to understand. Well, uh, certainly a lot to digest and a number of other variables coming down the pipe, but uh, very thankful to have you as a reliable source to keep us abreast of all the information as it comes. So thank you very much for joining us, Philip. Thank you, Kevin. For more on this pivotal region's engagement with China, please do visit the Choice website at chinaobservers.eu. Also, consider subscribing to our newsletter, where all of the prescient posts on the Choice platform are distilled down and sent directly to your inbox every month. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, on Twitter at China Observers, and on Facebook at China Observers in Central and Eastern Europe. And as always, remember to make the right choice and join us for our next Voice for Choice podcast.